Thank you, Steve. I was just reaching for it. You read my mind here. What's the big deal? Um, Again, as I indicated last week, um, I want to talk a little bit this season, last week, this week, next week, and actually the following week, to talk a little bit about what's the big deal with Easter. Uh, Just offering you some simple reminders of what is behind our emphasis upon Palm Sunday and Easter. These special days represent some of the foundational elements of our Christian faith, but sometimes that meaning can get lost in the trappings of tradition, holidays, and just plain being incredibly familiar. Last week, when I talked about what's the big deal, I gave a little historical perspective, uh, not just Easter history, but human history in terms of how we started out, how we ended up separated from God, and how God had a plan to restore us. And so we went from the historical perspective into the personal perspective, because at its core, Easter is incredibly personal. It is about you individually and your individual relationship with the God of all creation and the creator of the universe. And so that's kind of where we were at last week. And then Today, we're going to look at this Palm Sunday or triumphal entry, and what I want to have you think about, and where I will end up, is what were they looking for? Is I'm going to unpack in a little bit, you'll get a sense for what the Palm Sunday triumphal entry, entry story includes, but just to have you grapple with it a little bit, what's the big deal with the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. And I'm going to read, again, as I look across the years, uh, it would be a very, very rare Palm Sunday where I did not read from Luke chapter 19, just because that's my preferred story with regard to the triumphal entry. It's interesting because Dean shared his verse for the day on his app, and they used the John passage, and I thought, oh, John talks about it too? I didn't know. Uh, But anyway, so... Uh, Luke chapter 19, uh, starting with verse 20. And I'm going to read the entire passage, and then we'll come back and just think about a few key thoughts. Uh, you know what? I'm going to pause right there. Uh, if you've got your Bible open or your app open, stay right there. But uh, just a little bit of backstory before I read that. And it's important to understand. I know in the past I've spent a lot of time elaborating on this. But this scene that I'm going to read about did not come out of the blue. It was not a totally random moment. There were a variety of things creating momentum that led up to this event. Uh, in the days prior to this scene that I will read about, um, there had been what we refer to and what Scripture refers to as called the Mount of Transfiguration. And that was the time when Jesus and a couple of his closest followers went up on a mountain, and before their very eyes, he was transformed and joined by a couple of forefathers of the faith that had been dead for centuries. And they literally saw Jesus, whom they had been walking with, living with, learning from, they saw him having a face-to-face conversation with these forefathers of the faith. And again, I, I can't even, some of you know I have an active imagination, I can't even imagine how much that would just make your head explode to to see this. As some of you have heard me say countless times over the years, I still want to know how they knew who these forefathers were. 
Because there were pictures. It's like, oh, yeah, I got a picture. He's, I got a picture of Moses. He's on my trading card. That, that must be Moses standing there. How did they know? Did they have name tags? Somehow they knew. They knew that this was an incredible moment, and they knew that that meant there was something incredibly, even more special than they had imagined <clears throat> with regard to Jesus. Also, in the days leading up to this triumphal entry, Jesus had been doing some amazing things like casting out evil spirits. He had helped restore the sight to the blind. He had healed lepers of an, a disease that there was no known cure for, but he spoke and they were clean from, cleansed from this disease. They had seen the salvation of a well-known individual named Zacchaeus. Uh, some of you remember the child's children's store song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was a man who had gotten very rich by corrupt tax collection processes, and he had a dramatic conversion experience. And then, as if that were not enough, in the days leading up to this triumphal entry. So again, there has to be an incredible buzz as Jesus is doing all this stuff. And then just to top it off, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Again, the story, great story. Uh, we could preach on that one someday. But Jesus is friends with Lazarus and friends with his family. He gets word that Lazarus is not well. And Jesus appears to get sidetracked, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead, and he's been dead and buried. Needless to say, now again, if I had a really close conversational friendship relationship with Jesus in person, I have a close personal friendship with Jesus, but I've never actually seen him and had a conversation with him in that way. But Lazarus's sisters did. And if I were them, I'd have been a little put out with Jesus that he didn't get there in time. You know, dude, if you had been here, he wouldn't be in the ground. Jesus, I got this. And he steps up to the tomb and he calls, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And he does. (laughs) Uh, Excuse me? He does. And he comes out. Everything's good. Again, he'd been in the grave. So, before we get to the triumphal entry, I think it's fair to say that this whole Jesus thing, this movement, had some incredible momentum. People were excited. They wanted to be where he was. They wanted to be part of his entourage and experience some of what was going on. So that's what led to this moment. And again, uh, we'll pick up, and then I'll come back to the backstory. Luke chapter 19, verse 29. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead, uh, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go, into the, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. How many of you are freaking out because the scripture's not up there? i, I just messing with you. I'm sorry. All right. <clears throat> go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Okay, just pause and take a breath, all right? Any of you get a new car recently? 
Who's got the newest car out there? I, I saw Molly and Owen come in in a really sharp truck. All right, it's not new, she's telling me, but she likes it when I call attention to her in the middle of the service. I can tell. All right. But let's just say that awesome truck that Owen and Molly have, somebody walks up in the middle of service and says, we're taking your truck because God needs it. (laughs) Oh, sure. Here, let me put gas in it for you, right? Uh, We're all going there. I don't get it, but... Why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Okay, go for it. You got it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, his owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. No further discussion. I, I can't help it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They're riding this Jesus wave of excitement because of all that they'd seen, all that they'd heard about, just crazy stuff happening. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes. And that's where I'm going to stop. So you get some sense of what's going on. A lot of excitement, and I want to talk briefly about three groups of people. There was one group of people who were looking for a Messiah or a Savior. Now, this was not just a happenstance. This was not just a random day that Jesus showed up because we know he's always got a plan. This was when the Jews from all across the region were gathering in accordance with their tradition in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Estimates put that there were somewhere between 40,000 and 2 million people in Jerusalem or surrounding areas to celebrate the Passover because it was their tradition to make a pilgrimage there as a part of their faith experience. So you've got a bunch of people who are coming for a special occasion and then you have that merging with these people who are already hyped up and attracted by his miracles and by his popularity and by the novelty of what he's doing. Now, you and I grew up associating Palm Sunday with our Christian faith. We associate the palm leaves with Palm Sunday, with our Christian faith. But for the Jews who made up the vast majority of that throng of people. They had been living for years under the oppression of Roman rule. And they were looking for a savior or a messiah, not in the way you and I use the word. They were looking for someone to set them free from the Roman rule and domination. They were hopeful that as Jesus was riding into town, they would have much preferred him to ride in in a huge white stallion symbolizing strength and power. He came in on the colt of a donkey. Doesn't exactly make you jump up and say, oh, we got this. But look at all he's been doing. 
we're ready. We've got momentum. The Romans can't stop us if he really seizes this moment. So they were looking for a Messiah or a Savior, not in the ways you and I look for a Messiah or a Savior. And it's important because this helps to understand one of those things that at times makes my gears turn is we have this throng of tens of thousands of people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And within days, it is reasonable to believe that some of those same people were in a crowd that was shouting, crucify him. And I say, how do you get from here to there? Because they were looking for something different than what he came to bring. They were looking for what they wanted. Jesus came to bring them what they needed. That's important. Another group of people. Some were looking for an excuse. I read through it fairly quickly. But in Luke chapter 19, verse 39, it says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now the Pharisees, they were the rule keepers of the faith. They were the ones who said, These are the rules, don't step out of line. And they were in a position of leadership, and the Romans let the Pharisees have a reasonable degree of influence within the Jewish nation as long as they didn't ruffle any feathers. These Pharisees were concerned that all of this hype, all this blessed who comes in the name of the Lord, waving palm leaves, which I've said numerous times in the past, kind of like us waving a flag, all right? That was a symbol of nationalism, all right? Kind of thumbing their nose at the Romans. And the Pharisees are saying, dude, get your people in check, because they're going to make problems for us if you don't. They were concerned because he was threatening to disrupt the status quo and he was threatening their way of life and their belief system the way they'd become comfortable with. They were comfortable with the level of influence they had with their fellow Jews and they didn't want to jeopardize that relationship with the Romans. So they're saying, Jesus, that's awesome. You're healing people. Glad people are excited about spiritual stuff, but just take it down a notch. Don't poke the bear. Could I say again? They were looking for what they wanted. But Jesus was offering what they needed. They didn't need more rules to keep. They needed something different. Then there was another group of people. Some were looking for a clue. Now, again, many of you have heard Bible stories since you were old enough to hear. For some of you, some of this stuff is kind of new. That's awesome, too. But if we just step back and away from the familiarity and try to imagine what these people were experiencing for the first time ever and had never read about, I'm sorry... When was the last time you were at a funeral? And instead of a committal prayer, the preacher said, uh, come on out of the tomb. I've never even tried, I'll tell you. Okay? 
But, but just linger on that. Seeing people healed from a disease that the doctor says cannot be healed. Seeing someone who was blind their whole life just at the snap of a finger or by rubbing a little dirt in their eye, able to see. These people were seeing stuff that just could not be explained. And as they're continuing to follow Jesus, we like to look at it from our perspective and think they knew what they were doing. They didn't have a clue. They just knew there was something going on here they didn't understand. Jesus was trying to tell them, and it was just, you ever try to tell somebody something that's clear, lights on, nobody home. They're smiling and nodding their head, and you're thinking, you don't understand a word I'm saying. Kind of like your dog. You know, they smile and they pant, and mm, they don't understand. All right? Sometimes that's us. These people, I mean, they're they're following because they're curious. They're following because they think maybe there's something there, but they don't have a clue yet. They hoped he was offering something new and improved. Most of them had some Jewish heritage, and they're thinking, "I, I love my faith, but there's just something missing here. Maybe this guy's on to something, so we're going to follow along. They were there looking for a clue. They knew they wanted to see more. They were looking for what they wanted. But they didn't understand yet. Jesus was offering what they needed. Instead of offering freedom from Roman rule and restoration of Judaic law, Jesus was offering them freedom from the bondage of sin that had plagued them for generations. He was offering them freedom from the bondage of death for all of eternity. And they were just wanting to go back to doing church the way they did before the Romans. Jesus was planning to pay the penalty for their sin so they could enjoy a guilt-free, shame-free, unhindered relationship with the God of all creation for all of eternity. What's the big deal? What were they looking for? It'd be awesome if we could say anybody understood what was going on in that moment except Jesus. But we can't say that. But the question is, what are you looking for? Because we do have the privilege of 2020 hindsight and centuries of exposure to the truth of God's word to where when we hear the triumphal entry, when we hear Palm Sunday, we have the opportunity to get it, to understand. So what are you looking for? Are you looking for what you want? It's very, very tempting to lean into our faith because we want a change in our circumstances. I can't help but wonder how many times I've gone crying to God, asking him to give me what I want, And he's saying, Steve, would you just ask for what you need? 
I may want a change in my circumstances. He may be looking for a change in me. What am I looking for? Am I looking, am I asking for a temporary solution that makes sense to me? I appreciate what Michelle just said. I mean, I'm not speaking for the rest of the LBA, but when we thought about making that appeal for above and beyond giving to whittle down the the the, the debt, we thought, gosh, an extra 30000 that's just really out there. Like God said, why don't you just ask for what you need? Just putting it out there. Do we ask for what we want? Change in our circumstances? Temporary solutions? Or do we, are we looking for what we need? A change in our perspective. A change in our heart. A change in the way we view the world. What we need, every one of us, what we need is an immediate and an eternal transformation on a spiritual level. Jesus could have patted them all on the back and say, oh, they're there, it's all better, I'll make the Romans go away. But they would still spend eternity separated from God. Just like if he were to pat me on the back and say, there, there, Steve, I'll make all your problems go away. But I'm still not right with him. Palm Sunday and Easter are a big deal because they both remind us that even if we don't fully understand it, Jesus came to meet us where we are and he came to help us get to where we can consistently love God in a real and personal way. He came, he lived, He died, and he rose again to give us what we need rather than let us settle for what we want. And again, I'm only speaking for myself. I I like to settle. I, I like to be comfortable. But in my experience, sometimes God has to make me flat out miserable to get me to the point that I'm willing to look for what I need instead of what I want. As I said, we were going to mix things up a little bit today. Wednesday night, I had the opportunity to, to hang out at worship rehearsal. And as I listened to the song set that they were doing, and, and I, I listened to all the songs together, and I thought... They tell a great story about a journey from Palm Sunday, triumphal entry, the Mount of Olives, to the foot of the cross. And so I asked the worship team if they wouldn't mind to do all the songs together. And Ruben's going to read some scripture, and Ruben may talk about it a little bit more as well. But... Please understand, I, I, I trust you get this, but we don't do worship songs independent from what we do in the message. And, and this was a phenomenal 
experience where I, I think in some ways the songs tell the story better than I can tell it. So don't just enjoy the melody and don't just sing the words and don't sit back and soak in a performance, but feel the story as the worship team leads us through it. So I'm going to pray and the worship team, if you want to make your way up here, that would be awesome. Father, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you that there is such an amazing story to be told. And Father, I I just ask that you would meet each of us where we are and help us to make a determination not to settle for what we want, but to lean into you to find what we really need. And Father, help us to be open to what you have for us through the songs we're about to share. Thank you, Father. Amen.